Uh, yes, indeed. Thursday morning. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The Age Stage, a program, of course, that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians. It is made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our friends at Australian Unity. And thank you very much indeed. Before we get cracking, to Bob and Judy for another action-packed sugar and spice. And wasn't Bob absolutely magnificent uh, when he went down to the OB earlier on this week? Tuesday it was, and uh, he and Leia and Steve Myers doing a sensational job. So, Bob, thank you very much indeed. Good morning, everyone. I'm Brendan Telfer. This week on The Age Stage, The Science of Ageing. And I tell you what, it's uh, all about the preservation of the species. We individuals do not mean a thing. We get the very latest from the British scientific writer Sue Armstrong. The Bayes Hospital here in Mornington has hosted a health and well-being lecture series. They've been looking at the issue of ageing and we'll be hearing from the Bayes CEO Eleanor Allen upcoming in the program as well. Plus, researcher Sarah Cresp has a request. I'm Sarah, doing a research project at Monash University, Frankston, looking for informal and formal decision makers who can be a power of attorney or next of kin to contribute to the research. My number is 0450002349. That's 0450002349. Yes, researcher Sarah Cresp speaks with Age Stage producer Cheryl Brody a little bit later on in this week's edition of the program. When we come back, our regular guest, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. You're on RPP 98.7 and 98.3 on the Peninsula. The Peninsula Grange Retirement Community and Australian Unity extend you an invitation to view our beautiful appointed lifestyle apartments in glorious Mornington. Our apartments come with the finest amenities and the very best in lifestyle choices. Opening early 2019, our architecturally designed apartments are selling fast. Take the next step in your retirement journey and join us. Contact us today by searching Peninsula Grange Community, a station sponsor. Looking for in-home care? Try Aftercare, where in-home personal carers helping people all over the southeast of Melbourne maintain their independence while still living in the luxury of their own home. If you're currently receiving services that aren't tailored to your individual needs, talk to Aftercare. We guarantee satisfaction. So let our family help your family. Call Aftercare now, 1300 46 46 63 or head to after-care.com.au. A station sponsor. Hi, this is Sigrid Thornton speaking. I love listening to the radio and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPP FM. RPPFM across the Mornington Peninsula on 98.7, 98.3. Great to have your company as always this Thursday morning. The Age Stage is the program, a program that we've designed to look at issues and matters concerning older Australians. Proudly sponsored by Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. And as he does every other week, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia has dropped by to say hello. Good morning, Warren. Good morning, Brandon. A um, couple of headline issues I just want to flag with you, Warren, as we just sort of discuss a few matters every other week. A call for pension super and family home to be part of a retirement review. You would have a pretty intimate notion about the sanctity of the Australian home when it comes to issues of Aftercare Australasia. Just wondering, are you seeing anything here, any red red flags? This is a good thing. The review is inevitable. 
Where do you think this one might go? Oh yeah, look, it's. <laughs> I, I have to say, at first, at first glance, can, can of worms for you this <laughs> yeah, Thursday that's morning. Right there. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Straight in it. Um, look, you know, at first glance, it really looks like an economist's uh, view of a wonderful idea. Yeah. I, I'd be astonished if the politicians would ever think something like that would get off the ground and get up and running. Mm. There's already for those of those of you that aren't perhaps involved in the aged care space. There's already a significant kind of overall trend towards, you know, user pays and and now even with the home care packages for all of the um, positives that they've brought in with some of the changes over the last couple of years. You know, one of the things that they've also kind of brought in that's perhaps less positive is that there now is an income tested measurement around um so not not doesn't affect people's eligibility for a package but it affects the amount of subsidy that the government pays a person based on whether they are a full pensioner a part pensioner um or a self-funded retiree so in other words the more money and assets you have um the less benefit you actually get from a home care package and so what we're seeing already is that for some people who are on a Perhaps only receiving a level two package, which, you know, just to re- remind people, that's that equ- that equates to about fifteen and a half thousand dollars worth of um, um, funding. Now, of course, you know, then there's a certain amount of that gets taken off the top. That doesn't all translate into um, you know direct funding for services. Um, but in that situation, a self-funded retiree is already going to get uh, well over half the value of that package taken back by the government on the basis that they have substantial assets and substantial income. And so for a lot of people, when I go out and see them and they're in that situation, I'm, I'm really having to advise them to um, get financial advice or, or very carefully weigh up whether in fact there's any real benefit in them going on to a level two home care package. So there's already this erosion of sort of benefits, if you like. Um, and I think if they then went the next step and and went, oh, well, you know, we're going to look at the family home. And look, this is perhaps a little bit out of left field. It's certainly my personal opinion, not aftercare's opinion. But, you know, I would suggest that uh, it would be strange for the Morrison government to be looking at that when they've so very clearly, you know, just recently been re-elected on the basis that they were opposing... Uh, the proposals from Labor to look at capital gains tax and, and all this stuff and, that and goes through investors. As well, and franking yes. credits as well. Could you just imagine if, I mean, if Labor was hurt electorally by that uh, franking yeah. credits fiasco, could you imagine if you bring the family home into the equation? Yeah. You know, the reverberations would be... Yeah, uh, I, I'd be astonished. I mean, you know, they may well include it in the review, but I'd be astonished if it's something that, that any government would look at adopting... Um, you know, given the amount of heat and issues around rates of home ownership declining already, difficulty for younger people to get into the housing market, you know, it's it's hard to see, um, you know, how this would how this would um, be a positive thing. So, when the government starts announcing issues like it wants to have a look at uh, reti- retirement reviews and so on, um, are you given the opportunity, given your knowledge, working intimately as you do with people of the destined or hoping to stay as long as possible in their own home, are you being able to go upwards and uh, and input your ideas and notion? Are you ever tapped by a government agency saying, well, what do you guys think as part of this body that's providing these services? Oh, look, look, not, not 
about it specifically in that way. There'd be, you know, if they, it, it, there's probably opportunities to make presentations, and I would think that peak bodies would definitely be be doing that. But they'd be representing the industry as a whole rather than individual providers sort of weighing in on it. But certainly, yeah, look, we we see uh, a lot of people um, in who are receiving the home care packages where a big part of their driver to have a home care package and not look at going into an aged care home is that they want to remain in the family home. That's And there's lots of studies that, that highlight the, the benefits to people's well-being in doing that in terms of staying within a familiar environment so that if there are cognitive declines, your, your long-term memory is still telling you how to navigate successfully around yeah. your, your your home environment whereas if you take that same person and put them in an unfamiliar place a la you know having to perhaps look at downsizing because uh, their their um their family home asset value is is you know impacting on their ability to get a package or to get a pension um you know you're looking at severely disrupting people's quality of life and in a way that they simply may not recover from they may not recover the same level of um, independence when put in a new environment that they would have in their family home they've been in for 30 or 40 years. I totally get that. The trauma for some of these people to be, you know, sort of almost forcibly moved from their home into some sort of facility, even if they are dropping in and out of sort of some form of dementia or Alzheimer's, it it must be really confronting and extraordinarily difficult. It's traumatic too because you're talking about uh, forcing people potentially to offload Mm. a a lifetime of, uh, you know, memories at a time tied up in all the possessions and, and things that just form the fabric of their of their home. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, gee, oh, you'd, you'd have to be a pretty brave politician to take that on, Brendan. You would be. <laughs> now, now, some other disclosures this week as well in the news cycle. Um, Warren, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia joining us here, as he does every other week on the Aged Care Program. Um, young people with disabilities in aged care facilities as well, up to 6,000 of them in this yeah. circumstance. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Look, look, to be honest with you, it's a national disgrace. And, and I think that the uh, Aged Care Commission has been quite scathing in terms of you know their view of this as well. It's, it's one of the misconceptions that people have around the rollout of NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which was, you know, largely uh, posited as a, something that was going to uh, radically improve the lives of every person with a disability across Australia. And it certainly had a positive impact, I think, overall. But one of the things that's not been just talked about um, very much publicly is the fact that that funding never looked at providing housing for so it provides support so in other words the day-to-day assistance that people need but it does not look at housing because housing falls within a completely different area of government and as you I'm sure you're aware you know social housing uh, has been chronically underfunded for decades now in Australia. And what it means is that, that uh, for people who've got significant levels of disability, who are, as a matter of course, often pensioners, they've often got limited capacity for work, or perhaps they've got capacity for work, but the, the, um, you know, the, the employment space doesn't support them adequately to do that, uh, they end up... Being, having a lot of difficulty affording their own homes, so they end up in rental stock. And 
what happens then is that there are all kinds of complications with making sure that that rental stock is can be modified in a way to support people, particularly people with significant physical disabilities who require a lot of automated equipment and, and all the technologies there. But And I've had this experience, Brendan, where um, landlords are highly reluctant to agree to any kind of modification of their home, uh, almost on principle. I, I think they're just very anxious that, that it may in some way end up devaluing their home. And I, I've been involved in negotiations with some landlords where, you know, we've been able to obtain funding, so this is pre-NDIS, mm. and, and we've been able to, you know, make proposals to to various landlords saying you know look we we just want to widen the doors a bit at the back and as it happens i'm just i'm thinking of a particular example you Mm. know as it happens your current door frame is rotten Mm. (laughs) so we're gonna it's a win for you yeah we're proposing to actually take that out fully replace it with something that's Mm. brand new fully painted Mm. but we just want it to be another you know foot wider mm, mm. to allow this in that case a young man a young man in his 20s uh, with a motorized chair to be able to freely uh, access his backyard and they just t- turned it down point blank um, no nah, and it's very common um because you know i'm not really sure why the reasons are but but it, this is what I've seen. So, so what it means is that for people that are in that situation, if they don't own their own home or they don't have, um, you know, access to um, some sort of secure um, accommodation, mm. they often end up in aged care, in residential aged care, which is, you know, for someone who's thirty or thirty-five. Um, you know, it, it, it and, and and in an aged care home, you know. And the prospect of living in an aged care home, you know, they're not, they're not there short term. They're not there for, you know, 12 months mm. or six months. Uh, they're, they're there for the next 20 to 30 years. Um, it's, it's pretty inappropriate. It's pretty depressing and upsetting. And, and NDIS has not solved that issue because it doesn't have a significant component in it that looks at housing itself. And that's what's needed. It's, it's actual housing stock that's needed, purpose-built. And then the NDIS can provide the supports. And so there was a lot of, I think, uh, optimism. And I think there's still some work being done in this space around trying to encourage um, developers and potentially um, disability organisations to look at investing into uh, into how suitable housing stock with the view that once you built the housing stock, you'd then be able to attract um, you know, clients, customers mm. who've got the NDIS funding behind them. But you still need a lot of money up front and, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be something that organisations have, have been, you know, keen to take up. I think a lot of existing disability organisations already are finding the, the process of changing to the NDIS funding model has been quite challenging for them. And it's actually depleted, significantly depleted their their cash reserves, and uh, and so you know the, the thought of then extending yourself further by uh, borrowing money to build property is is probably just not on the to do well, list. It's incredible, you know. We set this program up a couple of years ago, Warren, because uh, we were told at the time there's a tidal wave coming in a lot of these issues, mm. and many people unaware of some of the um, underlying subtext as well as you're just mentioning here, younger people in this terrible predicament. Um, 
but the good news is, and maybe we can end on this this week, is that you've been watching some more telly yes. and you've been looking at some rather interesting and very creative ways that uh, we might be able to use space in this sector going forward. Mm. So are- last time I was here, Brendan, I, I mentioned that there's this fascinating show on, which is still running on the ABC uh, television or iview you know for those mm. of you that, that do, they do the it. catch-up stuff mm. um cool i think it's called uh you know aged care for for four-year-olds four year yep. and uh it was just a really interesting experiment around introducing um preschool aged children into a the aged care environment but uh the other thing that's i, get, I think of great interest is that there's this seems to be a bit of a current trend at the moment where there are a number of ways in which this space is being um, investigated or, or um, experimented with um, to great effect. So, for instance, I was reading just the other day about um, there's a, um, an aged care home uh, up in Queensland that's developed a, a playgroup for preschool-aged children within their, their facility and... They've now got sort of eight to ten kids uh, attending regularly every week and, of course, it's a great opportunity. Parents come in with the kids. So there's there's you know, literally a multi-generational um, opportunity for interaction and it seems to have been very, very successful. So it's really building off this model of how, um, you know, having more interaction between the different generations is very stimulating mm-hmm. and rewarding and brings a lot of benefits um, I've also seen uh, come across uh, a couple of uh, other sort of similar ventures where uh, kindergartens and preschools have sort of paired up with a local aged care home and uh, they have sort of regular visits there and regular sessions. So there's an opportunity again to sort of develop relationships. But I think uh, for those uh, parents of younger children out there who are sometimes these days struggling to find venues Mm. for playgroups, there's been a lot of pressure on these sort of public halls and spaces, suitable public halls and spaces. Um, I'd, I'd really encourage them to uh, be getting in contact with their their local uh, aged care uh, home, and uh, you know that, that often have uh, plenty of common area space, and may in fact be crying out for an opportunity. And it could be a w- real win win for I everybody. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. I mm. think it's absolutely genius because the kids are obviously benefiting from it, and mm. the older people as well, just absolutely loving every moment as well. And if they could, you know, utilise uh, these facilities, I think it'd just be sensational. Yeah, well, I think it's also a win for the parents, as I was saying, because, uh, you know, the, the, one of the ideas around um, um, uh, playgroups is that uh, it, it provides a bit of downtime for the parents and for them to catch up. And what better way to do that when, in fact, you've got a, a group of uh, ready-made uh, sort of, if you like, carers or entertainers with the, the older residents who are just crying out to have a bit of interaction and a bit of fun. I think I men- I've mentioned previously how, uh, how high the rate of uh, residents who receive no visitors is. So, you know, here's a perfect solution for that in a way that just, as I said, you know, everyone just comes out on top. So, yeah, look, I, I'm really hoping this is an idea that's going to take off.
It's a genius idea. Warren Haynes from After Chaos Malaysia, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, Warren, a little bit of a declaration, because it only seems like yesterday that I myself was spending a little bit of time down at those preschools, dropping off my big boy in those days many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm off to see him. I'm heading over to Canada for a couple of weeks. So the next time we meet won't be until in the first week of October. So um, look after yourself, and we'll hopefully catch up then. Oh, enjoy, and I'll look forward to seeing you then, Brendan. Good on you. This is The Age Stage, broadcasting from the Bendigo Bank Studio here at uh, the Wilson's Road Studios of RPPFM. Thank you very much indeed for your company. We will take a short break and be back with a whole lot more right here this Thursday morning. This is 98.7, 98.3 RPPFM. Good morning, everyone. Hello and welcome to the Age Stage program. This is Cheryl Brody and I'm your reporter. Today I have a very special guest with me here in the studios Uh, Sarah Cresp, she is a registered nurse and also a teaching associate with Monash University Nursing and Midwifery, uh, located out of Frankston campus. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for the lovely introduction and having me today. Pleasure. Now, I believe you're a local to the Mornington Peninsula as well. Yeah, I am. I'm a local nurse and I'm proud to be raised on the Mornington Peninsula by wonderful, hardworking parents, uh, Kenneth and Angeline, also um, a sister to three siblings and a wife to my lovely husband, Jason, and a mum to two young children, Matthew and Esther. Excellent. Um, So uh, you're doing a research project and you're looking for volunteers to contribute towards uh, the research. Now tell me a little bit more please about um, the research project. Sure. So the research aims to understand the support and education needs of people who have made or are making healthcare decisions for people living or lived with end-stage dementia. Um, They're formally known as substitute decision makers, but they can be power of attorneys, medical treatment decision makers, spouses, sons or daughters, nephews or nieces, granddaughters or grandsons, close friends or even um, public advocates. So I'll be speaking to these decision makers about their experiences, stories and perspectives of supporting older people with advanced dementia. Okay, excellent. So how did this research project idea come about? Sure. So we conducted a international systematic review which um, showed us that in Australia, Spain, the United Kingdom and the United States of America, uh, substitute decision makers can encounter both a rewarding and challenging experience. Um, Healthcare professionals who went above and beyond for the person living with dementia earned the trust of substitute decision makers. This led not only to a positive experience for the decision maker, but an increased uh, quality of life for the person living with dementia. However, though, uh, substitute decision makers can experience some guilt, mistrust and confusion, uh, difficulty in translating quality of life, some family conflict and uncertainty and reactivity. But by partnering with healthcare professionals, they do find ways to manage these challenges, which can lead to an effective and satisfying outcome. Okay, um, could you tell us uh, how do you plan to conduct the research? 
Sure. So I'll be conducting individual interviews that will run for approximately 60 minutes and will be audio recorded. Uh, Participants will be able to choose these interview locations to ensure they feel safe and comfortable in a private environment. So no one will be identified at any stage of the project. Uh, Any identifying information will be de-identified and replaced with codes, ensuring the confidentiality of each participant. Excellent. So um, what does the future of the project look like? Yeah, so it's quite bright actually. The findings from the interviews will help in understanding the support and education needs of people who make these healthcare decisions for people with advanced dementia on the Mornington Peninsula. So this includes people who are power of attorneys, medical treatment decision makers, spouses, uh, sons and daughters, grandchildren, nephews and nieces. Uh, These people are known as substitute decision makers. So we will theme the needs that will assist in designing the education Uh, and support resources which could be guidelines programs packages and tools uh, for people making these healthcare decisions for people with dementia on the Mornington Peninsula Um, also this will be important to the local community healthcare services uh, palliative and hospice facilities dementia specific facilities doctors clinics aged care facilities and hospitals on the Mornington Peninsula but also to uh, national organizational peak bodies such as Dementia Australia and Advanced Care Planning Australia. Okay, fantastic. Um, And how can people get in contact with you? Yes, so my mobile number is 0450002349. So I'm keen to uh, learn more about the experiences, stories and perspectives of the many substitute decision makers out there on the Mornington Peninsula. So if you'd like to be part of the Decides project or learn more, you can email me at sarah.cresp at monash.edu. But let me just spell that out. That's S-A-R-A-H dot C-R-E-S-P at monash.edu. Or you can call me on 0450002349. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for coming into the studio. And it sounds like people are donating their time for a very important research. Yes, definitely. And I'm so looking forward to hear their stories and experiences and to learn from such a um, vital role that they play out in the community. Excellent. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Cheryl Brody with Sarah Cresp. And thank you very much indeed. And of course, Sarah Cresp with producer Cheryl Brody. And if you would like to get involved in that research, do indeed give us a bell here at the radio station. We're more than happy to pass on your details and information to Sarah. You're tuned to RPPFM. This is The Age Stage. When we come back, Bay CEO Eleanor Allen and their big health and well-being lecture series and evening that featured the Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Jared Mansour. RPPFM. So good we get two frequencies, 98.7 and 98.3 FM. TJ Sparks is a leading real estate agency. We have assisted clients to rediscover the Australian dream of owning property and living close to the beautiful beaches on the Mornington Peninsula for over 40 years. TJ Sparks has a unique style and total passion for connecting people with property. If you're searching for your dream home or wanting to sell or rent, TJ Sparks are your number one source for lifestyle real estate. TJ Sparks, selling real estate with 1960s integrity and 2019 expertise. A station sponsor. 
Everyone knows Australia has four big banks, but the fifth biggest retail bank is snapping at their heels. It's a bank that's been around for over 160 years, has over 500 branches Australia-wide, looks after over 1.6 million customers, and was voted the most trusted bank in the Roy Morgan All Brand Net Trust Score Survey July 2018. Who is this fantastic number five? Yep, it's Bendigo Bank, the Better Big Bank. A station sponsor. This is the Age Stage on RWP FM. Great to have your company. Thursday morning it is, and not too bad. A little bit of sunshine out the with a window. Last week, the base hospital took over the new Peninsula Community Theatre here in Mornington, run one of its health and well-being lecture series with keynote speaker Jared Mansour, who is of course the commissioner for senior Victorians. Bay CEO Eleanor Allen has been telling RWPV news reporter Shelby Brooks all about the evening. Thanks, Eleanor, for coming in to our studio for our interview this week. Could you maybe just begin um, to tell our viewers about your health and wellbeing event that was held last week? What did it focus on? Uh, yes, our health and wellbeing event uh, last week focused on um, issues affecting ageing um, and healthy ageing, positive ageing, and was very well attended by over 250 guests. Um, we had two very engaging speakers, Mr Gerard Mansour and Dr Vikram Bala, who's one of our physicians at the Bays uh, with a special interest in geriatrics and uh, dementia. Wow, that sounds amazing. And so can you tell us about some of those issues that were talked about at the event, the major issues facing older people in our community? Mm. I think um, some of the major issues that are facing older people in our community are maintaining independence. Um, there is an increasing desire and rightly so for our elders to remain at home as long as possible uh, supported by services in the community and um, the shift towards consumer directed care has facilitated this to happen um, however there still is a great need for um, home-based care so what people are familiar with residential aged care for our elders in the community um, and that's a very valid uh, method for uh, elders who are no longer able to be cared for in their own homes. And so what is the Bays doing in the aged care sector at the moment? Uh, the Bays actually has a residential aged care home at Hastings. Um, currently we have 75 residents living with us and uh, in May next year when we complete the first of a two-stage um, redevelopment of our site, um, that number of residents living with us will increase to 90 and thereafter hopefully to um, 120 in the, in the coming years when we complete the second stage of that development. What advice could you give to families who have loved ones that are facing some of these issues such as dementia? Um, it's really important, I think, to communicate. It's important to talk to your GP as the first place um, that you can start having that conversation. Um, but also, um, Gerard Mansour was uh, very generous uh, in providing us with some resources, which if members of the community would like to pop into the bays and pick up, we can provide them, about having those conversations with your family and actually understanding what it is you want to achieve out of ageing, out of ageing positively. It's okay to age. Dr Vikram Bala said uh, at our health and wellbeing program, ageing is not a disease. It's a process of life. Dementia is a disease. And that is something that is becoming more and more prevalent as we live longer and longer. And it's something that um, many of our families, your family, my family, my friends, um, are dealing with right now. And it's very complex. But certainly I think having those conversations with your family and understanding 
understanding what your grandma or even your mum or even you know younger people are having early onset dementia what are their wishes what do they want to do it's very very important to understand what those persons um, needs and desires are to and to have a plan in place it's not a taboo subject it's part of life and so you mentioned the Commissioner of Senior Victorians was at your event last week. Um, what sort of outcomes can we expect from his work? Yeah, um, Gerard is extremely busy. Uh, he has been travelling, um, in fact, uh, spending a lot of time doing exactly what we were just talking about, which is communicating with senior Australians about what it is that's important to them and about what it means to age positively in, in Australia. Australia has an ageing population and particularly here, particularly here on the Mornington Peninsula, our, um, our population is an ageing population and uh, it is increasing. We actually have um, uh, one of the oldest populations, if you like, um, in the Victorian region right here on the Mornington Peninsula. And so for us here, um, for the Bays Hospital in particular, we are focused on the health and wellbeing of that population and uh, as it increases both locally and nationally uh, and the work of the Commissioner is uh, actually very inspiring in that space and uh, I'm looking forward to the report that uh, he will generate out of his most recent um, reviews. And so what upcoming events um, does the Bays have that you can tell us about? The Bays has a very busy schedule of events. Um, our health and wellbeing program um, is actually a program of five this year. We have one remaining program which is um, on the 7th of November and that's called Hip to be Healthy and that is Dr Andrew Chia who will be talking about joint health and how to maintain healthy joints um, particularly as, as we age, treatment options. Also we have a range of membership events so as a friend of the base you can become a member, a single membership is $50 and a family membership is $100 and what that entitles you to um, is uh, membership benefits which include reduction in your excess when you come to the hospital for treatment and member only uh, small group events uh, on targeted sessions which our members tell us about what they want to hear about and so uh, from very eminent uh, local and um, regional speakers. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming into the studio and um, good luck for the future. Thank you. Bay CEO Eleanor Allen telling RWP FM news reporter Shelby Brooks all about the big night. And uh, later on, indeed, next week on the program, we will have a very special feature on Jared Mansour and the big event that the Bays put on. It was very insightful. And there will be a special edition of the Age Stage next week featuring that evening. When we come back, the science of ageing with the British scientific writer Sue Brooks. This is the people and the sounds of the peninsula. Radio Port Phillip, RPPFM. So good we get two frequencies, 98.7 and 98.3 FM. The Peninsula Grange Retirement Community and Australian Unity extend you an invitation to view our beautiful appointed lifestyle apartments in glorious Mornington. Our apartments come with the finest amenities and the very best in lifestyle choices. Opening early 2019, our architecturally designed apartments are selling fast. Take the next step in your retirement journey and join us. Contact us today by searching Peninsula Grange Community, a station sponsor. Looking for in-home care? Try Aftercare. 
We're in-home personal carers helping people all over the southeast of Melbourne maintain their independence while still living in the luxury of their own home. If you're currently receiving services that aren't tailored to your individual needs, talk to Aftercare. We guarantee satisfaction. So let our family help your family. Call Aftercare now, 1300 46 46 63 or head to after-care.com.au. A station sponsor. Each year, Ballura House and Garden in Mornington hosts a series of performances by the talented young pianists of the Australian National Academy of Music from the South Melbourne Town Hall. We would like to invite those of you who enjoy fine music to join us for one of our delightful performances in the Talis Pavilion of Ballura House. Each performance is followed by a sumptuous afternoon tea. For more information on becoming part of this experience, telephone us or check the Ballura website on the internet. More and more people with a taste for quality are shopping at Eliza Meats. Kevin and his lean team pride themselves on the finest cuts. From juicy steaks and roasts to high-grade mince and sausages, and Eliza Meats are the gourmet specialists. Inquire about Eliza Meats Spithire for 9787 4473 for a mouth-watering meal fit for a king. It's all at Eliza Meats. See our sponsor Kevin at Eliza Meats, 112B Mount Eliza Way, a station sponsor. Hi, I'm Michelle Bridges, and when I'm on the peninsula, I love listening to RPPFM. You're tuned up to RPPFM on 98.7, 98.3. We're heard well and truly across the Greater Mornington Peninsula, Frankston as well, of course. Good to have your company. I'm Brendan Telfer. The Age Stage, a program which looks at issues and concerns for older Australians, is proudly sponsored by Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. British science writer Sue Armstrong has uh, recently published a book, Borrowed Time, in which she gives a detailed scientific and medical explanation of ageing. In the book, she poses a question, can ageing be stopped or cured? Is it a disease with a number of symptoms? And if so, what would it take to get the big pharmaceuticals to throw some very valuable research money and time at drugs that could be created to reverse the signs of ageing. Interesting proposals. Sue has been speaking with the BBC's Radio 4 programme start of the week. The interviewer is Andrew Marr. You've got built-in obsolescence and it's actually very interesting. This there are lots of different theories about why we age um, because it's still quite a contentious area but this seems to be the sort of dominant thing and it's called the disposable soma theory um, which basically means built-in obsolescence and what it says is that mother nature doesn't care a damn about us as individuals its main goal is to the survival of the species. So we are vehicles for the sperm and the egg which carry the genetic material which has to go on down the generations so Nature invests just enough maintenance and repair in us to last until we've... We can pass uh, on the DNA. Pass them on. Funny then, kind of mother. Funny yes. kind of mother, I'd say. Absolutely. But I shouldn't call it mother nature. I should just say nature. Yeah, to, to focus in on particular, use the example of calcium, very interestingly, to explain soma. The, the soma theory, just, just remind us about it. Calcium is really important. In the early years, it builds bone density. It helps us grow and ultimately procreate. And then it causes us problems in later life. That's but that actually, doesn't matter. That's not part of that same theory. As I said, there oh. are a whole lot of different, oh, different theories. That is something with an even worse name. That's antagonistic oh. pleiotrophy. <laughs> that's probably why I didn't say it. <laughs> Which is a horrible bit of jargon. But what it means is that genes that have a really good role to play up until yeah. development 
after that, um, you know, it hasn't been weeded out because um, evolution can't really see you past uh, your, you know, once you've finished. But it must be part of disposable soma, he said. Well, yes. Because because that explains why, after a certain point, things that were useful to us until we meet and breed and and, and pass on the DNA that can then become poisonous or damaging to us in later life. It's the same sort of thing, absolutely, that um, nature, evolution doesn't see, uh, it's not able to weed stuff out in the post-reproductive period. So some people have actually called the post-reproductive period a a, um, genetic dustbin, where all of these genes which might have had a good role then, and if they run on too far, Mm. they can cause trouble, and they, they end up not being weeded out because evolution doesn't see you in the post-reproductive period. Your book is full of extraordinary characters, including Hayflick, um, and that's very important to the story. Let's talk about Hayflick and um, what he discovered about the way cells reproduce, because until he came along, it was assumed that cells kept reproducing endlessly. Absolutely. This was the dogma, and it had been for a long time, by somebody called Alexis Carroll. That was his theory, that if you gave um, cells the right nutrients or and the right environment, they could go on forever, Im- immortally. And Hayflick was a cell culturist, and he was working in Philadelphia at the Wistar Institute, and his job was to provide a whole lot of cells for um, virus research. And he noticed that these lovely pristine cells which he got in his petri dish they did so many um, divisions and then they stopped and he saw this so often he thought this looks like a natural phenomenon and he they, tried to get that they published re- they, they multiply 50 times and then well, they stop or roughly. about that roughly yes I mean but yeah. they, they have a finite lifespan and then they stop and what was interesting was these cells didn't die off so it didn't look as though there was anything going wrong in his cell culture they just stopped dividing and um, it took a very long time for anybody to accept this because this had been the dogma that they could go on forever and it was technical and, error. And the cells that them. can't carry on dividing and, as it were, have, have stopped are called senescent cells. And at the risk of being controversial, all of us around this table are crammed with senescent cells. <laughs> we are, and that is part of the story, a very important part of the story of ageing. It's a massive part of the story of ageing, except for the fact that senescent cells are not synonymous with ageing no. because they start right from the very beginning from because they're part of our, a natural uh, protection against cancer and against uh, errors that are made in the DNA. Every time a cell divides, it has to copy its DNA and um, hive off the daughter cell. But over time, you're bound to make little errors. And so nature, again, Mother Nature, has um, we, we've got this strategy that you stop after a certain number of um, divisions and therefore there's, um, there's not so much danger of passing on harmful uh, mutations which might cause cancer or all kinds of other harmful things. And so the cell stops. And senescent cells have a role to play and then generally cleared away by the immune system regularly. But as we get older, the immune system begins to get old, these cells are not cleared away properly, so they accumulate and then they become dysfunctional and they become really bad news. They leak out stuff which um, chews up the collagen, but which sticks our cells together, and that's what causes wrinkles, wrinkles and yes. saggy bits and all that sort of stuff. But they also prime the immune system. They kept sending messages off to the immune system um, and they cause low-grade grumbling inflammation, which seems to be one of the great drivers of ageing. It's very interesting at the moment when you talk to anyone about science and medicine inflammation has become the thing that everyone is talking about massive, and focusing on at the moment massive it's even called they've even call it inflammaging now because inflammaging. it seems to be one of the key drivers of the aging process so if we now understand why cells age and how they age or at least a lot more about that 
are we any closer to stopping the mage or you know moving back to pre-senescent cells? Massively, massively. They're doing it in the in the uh, in in the lab. They're doing it in the lab with um, in petri dishes. They're also doing it in model organisms and so on. So there's a lot of evidence that the aging process can be slowed and can be or ameliorated. And what's terribly important about this is that the single biggest risk factor for all the things that we know are pathological in in aging, you know, the dementias that Nikki's been talking about, uh, arthritis, heart failure, um, failure of eyesight and hearing, Mm. all the things that we think of as the geriatric diseases. The single biggest risk factor for them is the aging process itself. So, yes, everything. So, um, those diseases are, in fact, just the symptoms, the end stage of a pathological process. So if you can interrupt it earlier on, you can do stuff about so it. So there is great hope for, for the effects of ageing. We can't stop ageing. We can many of the effects of ageing. And towards the end of your book, you argue quite passionately for ageing to be treated as a disease. And this is really for financial reasons. Just explain. For financial reasons, but also to, for, for policy reasons. I mean, yes, you know, to go together. very, very little money is put into gerontology, which is the science of ageing. If you're trying to deal with ageing, money is put into geriatrics, which is dealing with the diseases. Um, so... Uh, Yes, but th- so that's one thing. It's very important so, to policymakers. But for the financial thing, yes, big big pharma is not going to get involved unless it sees ageing as an intervention, a target for intervention. So to put it very simply, I'd say this two go together, because if, as it were, the NHS says, you have got this disease called ageing and we have drugs for ageing and we're going to treat your problem ageing with these drugs, then the big pharmaceutical companies pour money in and the drugs leap forward and we're all better off. Absolutely, but this is classic preventive medicine, yeah. and you know it's. But it's it's a long way to to make people aware of what gerontology promises, and it's big. Sue Armstrong on the BBC Four program start of the week with presenter Andrew Marr, and we acknowledge the BBC for the use of that interview. And that is just about it for this week's edition of the Age Stage. Before we go, our thanks to our regular sponsors, Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Thank you as well to our guests this week, Ron Haynes of Aftercare Australasia, Ellen Allen of the Bayes Hospital, and the BBC, of course, and Sue Armstrong Plus. Our producer, Cheryl Brody, who was this week speaking with Sarah Cresp. Don't forget that uh, if you do want to contribute to Sarah's research, just give us a bell here at the radio station. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Age Stage. And when we do, it will be that special with the Commissioner for Senior Victorians, Gerard Mansour. Until then, stay safe 